Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey friends, Lisa Childers here. Today, we're going to be talking about science, and more specifically, scientific evidence for the existence of God. We're going to be focusing in on the evidence for the fine-tuning of the universe with today's guest, Alan Hainlein. Today's guest is an expert in something called the fine-tuning of the universe. He has a degree in physics from the University of Texas at Austin, and he's done some graduate study at the Science and Religion program at Biola. He currently runs a small software company that engages in commercial satellite imaging. He and his wife, Rose, have four kids, and this is really interesting. Three of them uh, just finished working on their first or second degree in the uh, engineering or scientific fields at secular universities. So this is a science family. Uh, Ellen also heads the Reasonable Faith chapter at UT Dallas and leads an apologetics ministry at his church. So Ellen, I'm so glad that you could come and be on the podcast today. I want to ask you about your kids all sort of surviving the secular onslaught at at universities. What was that like for your family? Yeah, thanks a lot, Alyssa. I'm really glad to be on with you here. And um, yeah, thankfully, they they all came out strong in their faith. And um, yeah, at times, you know, my, my one daughter was a biology major and then went to medical school some and so, you know, she's definitely hit with the evolution. How do I deal with this? And, mm. you know, I tried to give her some intelligent design background and different things like that. And and she definitely stayed strong. Um, my son was, he's, he's really into aerospace. He's, he graduated from A&M and now he's at Washington University. Mm. And, but he, one interesting thing about him is that he, I know when, it, when we took a personality test, he scored like very introverted, but mm. he was, he was willing to like go to the atheist group on campus by himself and just engage with them and evidence for God. And so I was, I was proud of him for, for taking initiative like that and, yeah. and just going out and trying to defend the truth. That's, that's incredible. As an introvert, that sounds absolutely terrifying. So good for him. Yeah. <laughs> what was, what did he, what was his biggest challenge when he would go to the, to the atheist groups? Was it science or was it more philosophical? What, what were the biggest objections he, he came across? He did end up talking about a number of philosophical or scientific issues. He, I think he was struck by a, a sort of a lack of depth there that they, they had, mm. they didn't really understand, for example, fine tuning, and he felt it was, you know, it was pretty profitable to talk to several of them. So he, he kept great. going back a bit. So that was cool. Very cool. Well, we're going to talk about fine tuning in a moment. Uh, but before we get there, just to, to let listeners get to know you a little better, I read in your bio that you went through a pretty severe time of doubt and skepticism about 
the existence of God. This wasn't just kind of a bump in the road. This was a very significant experience in your life. And then you began to explore uh, all sorts of different subjects, actually, not just science, but the scientific evidence for God was one of the things that brought you back. So what was that time of your life like for you? What, what was it that you think maybe caused this, this time of doubt? Yeah, it is sort of an important era I went through that I think motivates me a lot now to be involved in apologetics ministry, uh, just like the former drug addict wants to help those that struggle with that. As mm-hmm. one that struggled for a while with doubts, uh, I feel very led to try to help people as they try to process different challenges to faith. And I remember thinking for a while there, it's like, I'm not sure I'm ever going to be like totally confident, but by God's grace, I feel more confident than ever, having mm. found that there's not just a lot of good answers to the questions I have, but there's so much evidence that most people are unaware of. It motivates me to try to make people more aware of all the good reasons for belief out there, both in terms of belief in God and, and in terms of Christianity. So yeah, I think what it kind of hit me at a dry time in my spiritual walk where I was too into my job and things like that. And I think, you know, you can make yourself vulnerable when you sacrifice the spiritual disciplines and things like that. And I had some close friends in college. We were going to perhaps be missionaries to China and they fell away from their faith. And it got me questioning things quite a bit. And of course they were citing intellectual reasons. And so I, you know, was examining things. I had always had an interest in studying some of the scientific apologetics type issues, but this led me into a much deeper search to really try to understand, uh, you know, what, how do I know, you know, maybe I've been wrong all this time. Maybe it was an emotional experience like my friends were saying, and I had to really take a fresh look at everything and I had a lot of ups and downs. Some days I really felt like more of an atheist and other days I felt like, well, I believe this, but I just feel a lack of confidence. So it was, it was a tough up and down time and I didn't, I probably should have sought out more help from others than I did. Maybe that's another lesson learned that could help others with that. Don't internalize your doubts. Find someone that can help you through them. And so I want to be that kind of a person to help others through doubts. Well, let's talk about one of the the things you discovered that helped kind of bring you back uh, to, to a more confident place in your faith and uh, is the subject of what we're going to talk about today. So fine-tuning. Now, my background is music, so I see the phrase fine-tuning, and that takes on a really specific meaning for me and, and for people in the music world. But in the world of cosmology, uh, what, what does that phrase mean in the scientific world? Well, interestingly, it's a phrase used totally independent of what has now become widely known as sort of a fine-tuning argument for the existence of God based on how the fundamental parameters and initial conditions of the universe seem to be finely tuned for life. But within Mm -hmm. physics, it's sort of a generic term applied in other contexts as well. But it does refer to this metaphor that you have probably far more familiarity with than I do of fine tuning in certain contexts such as music to get a, a beautiful sound out. You can't just take random noises and expect to get something which would be what we would call music. And in the same way, physicists have discovered that we can't just have random laws of nature or random strengths of forces or particle masses, things like that, um, and still end up with a universe which would be fit for life. Now, you use the phrase fundamental parameters of the universe. What are you talking about when you use that phrase? 
Yeah, there are certain fundamental parameters. And one of the interesting things about this evidence is it gets at the very foundations of science, where you're mm. basically, you know, it, science boils down to you're, you're giving explanations in terms of laws of nature. And within those laws, they're generally correspond to mathematical equations. And in those equations, you have parameters. For example, some of your listeners may be familiar with the constant G as like the strength of gravity that shows up in high school physics. And so there's no underlying theory that's driving that value to anything in particular. And yet we find that most values of G of this constant would have rendered the universe lifeless. And so it got a lot of attention starting in about the 1970s when scientists discovered this. And it applies to so many different areas within physics that it really is, I think, attention grabbing. It doesn't look like we live in a universe that was set up by chance in terms of its laws and the things that control how nature works. You could think of it also as like knobs that dial down how strong is the electromagnetic force or something like that? Mm -hmm. Or how much do things like the proton or the electron weigh? You might mm -hmm. think they could just have any mass whatsoever and life would be fine. But it turns out that chemistry gets really messed up if those aren't in a certain ratio. And likewise, mm -hmm. things like uh, nuclear fusion and stars. And scientists think that stars obviously are very important to life. You need some kind of sustained energy source but without fine-tuning, you wouldn't be able to have things like long-lived stars. You mentioned gravity, and so I am not primarily a science person. I try to educate myself on the scientific arguments, but typically that's not um, where I kind of live. But uh, when I've read about some of this fine-tuning and I've read about gravity, it's something like the gravitational pull has to be finely tuned to such a degree that if it were just a slight bit more or just a slight bit less, we wouldn't even be here. So how exactly is the universe fine-tuned for life? Is that gravity kind of an example of what we're talking about? Yeah, there is a very narrow range, which would have, for example, allowed stars to be long-lived, what we were just talking about. And I think that is a good example for people to think through because intuitively, when you start thinking about, well, what is a star? It's a controlled nuclear explosion held together by gravity, basically. And you think in terms of, well, why is it that a star could last billions of years? We expect our star to be able to continue to burn for, you know, billions of years into the future. What, you know, how can a nuclear explosion last that long? The human initiated ones certainly don't. And it's because of this fine tuning, and in particular, as you mentioned, gravity has to be incredibly weak compared to the other forces in order to maintain this balance because the gravity is holding things in so that the reaction doesn't just burst and go crazy. But it, you end up with uh, problems either if gravity is too strong or if it's too weak. So if we want to try to quantify how much gravity needs to be finely tuned or there's actually other parameters also that are necessary for long-lived stars. And across those, it turns out to require fine-tuning to about one part in 10 to the 38th power in order to get long-lived stars. And so I know that's really hard for people to necessarily understand, and I guess I should even define what is 10 to the 38th power. Well, that's one with 38 zeros after it. 
So that's an enormous number. We're not used to seeing numbers like that. And it's easy to underestimate just how big that is or how improbable it would be for something to happen that had just one chance in 10 to the 38th power. So I computed um, an analogy. I, I wanted to come up with an analogy that people could understand. So I, I thought about how, well, a grain of sand is about the smallest thing that we can conceive of. Most of us, myself included, we have a trouble kind of conceiving how small an atom is or something like that. But if you, if you deal with sand and you think in terms of, well, how big would a sand pile be if it had 10 to the 38 grains of sand, it turns out you could basically fill up all of Europe and Asia and pile it up up to the height of the moon, and you still wouldn't have that many grains of sand. Of course, you couldn't really build a sand pile that big, but in the thought experiment, just picture if you had like vertical walls of sand all the way to that height, and then you colored one grain of sand red mixed it up at random, had someone blindfolded choose one grain at random, what is the probability they would get that red grain of sand? And it comes out to be less than the, the chance of getting long-lived stars. In fact, you're still off by like a factor of a thousand. So it, it's really mind-boggling levels of precision. And this isn't even the greatest example. Probably the, the most significant example of fine-tuning would be what's something called the cosmological constant. And a friend of mine, Luke Barnes, is a cosmologist in Australia who's been doing research on this for a number of years. And in fact, just, just this week in the, the Sydney Morning Herald, he was interviewed about some of his progress. And he's, you know, he's affirmed that it's extremely fine-tuned, maybe to one part in uh, 10 to the 110th power. So that'd be like doing this sand experiment like three times in a row and getting it right every time. Um, and it also, his, his research is interesting in that it's showing that it's difficult for someone to just kind of explain this away as, well, maybe we got lucky because we live in one of a multitude of universes and just find ourselves in the one that's right for life because he's shown how it doesn't fit. Our universe would not be typical among those predicted on these kind of multiverse theories. And so he argues, and he has a, a Cambridge university press book. Uh, called A Fortunate Universe that I highly recommend if you want to explore fine-tuning in more detail. But he recommends, uh, or he um, he affirms this evidence for as being point, a pointer to God from this foundational physics. And he co-authored it with an atheist author. So they both agree on all the physics, but they have different interpretations. And it's a good way of exploring it, even for skeptics, because they can try to see how the debate ensues on how to interpret the evidence. So what was the book called again? A Fortunate Universe. By Luke Barnes. By Luke Barnes and Geraint Lewis. Okay. So so this sand analogy, like that really gives us a picture of how, what are the chances of finding that red grain of sand? So you're saying that these, these uh, constants that are finely tuned in our universe for life, that would have to be just a certain way for life to exist, the chances of that all happening and lining up that way is the same as finding that red grain of sand in that sand that's piled to the moon across the continents. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And in fact, yeah, that's just dealing with really one life permitting criteria. Having oh, that's the, just one. Yeah, yeah. The the cosmological constant, as I said, is like doing that three times in a row. So that would be the most wow. extreme case, though, the cosmological constant. 
Well, on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media, I have seen the claim many times, and it's usually from atheists or agnostics, that there's no scientific evidence for the existence of God. You know, you just can't make a positive case. But with things like fine-tuning, we're actually saying, no, there is there is positive evidence for the existence of God. So why is this fine-tuning important evidence for God? Yeah, it's a good point. You do often hear that, and I think... The reason that ends up being the case in some people's minds is simply that whenever they're presented with evidence such as fine-tuning, they'll say, well, that's just a God of the gaps argument or just dismiss it without really considering it. Mm-hmm. But it's, I think it's very powerful evidence for God, and it's important in multiple ways. The first being that it is based on widely accepted physics, all of our our best understood and most affirmed theories like general relativity, quantum mechanics, and our understanding of the standard model of particle physics, all of those give us reasons for believing that the universe had to be finely tuned for life to these kind of mind-boggling levels. And so the really for the physicists, the experts that have studied it, they often will, will say, well, maybe there's all these other universes that you can't see, and that could explain this. You know, if somehow we were living in one of many universes, each with different laws, then maybe that would explain it. But that seems to be a, a bit of a reach because there, you know, we've only detected our own universe. In fact, by definition, really, you could never observe or detect these other universes. And so it's a bit of an act of desperation that should be telling for those who are looking at this evidence and evaluating what the experts are saying, that they're having to appeal to such speculative physics and unsupported assertions in, in many cases and then especially when you look at things like Luke Barnes's research, where well, we have actually positive reasons for being skeptical of the multiverse, at least as an explanation of the fine-tuning. Roger Penrose and some other prominent physicists have also raised serious concerns about how well the multiverse would really serve as an explanation of the fine-tuning anyway. Now, as a Christian, mm-hmm. you know, God could have made as many universes as he wanted or things like that. But as an explanation of the fine-tuning, it seems to be failing, at least all proposed theories thus far. And so I think we are left with a very powerful argument for God from physics, from the very foundational levels of science. And so I think that's very significant as well. The fact that you have a multiplicity of data, even if we were wrong about, say, half of the fine-tuning claims, there would still be enough left to show that the universe is finely tuned for life and this demands some kind of deeper explanation. And so it's, I think it's very difficult to try to dispute the evidence without just looking completely ad hoc and, and, you know, just more of wishful thinking, what uh, Karl Popper sometimes called promissory materialism. Those that hold to the materialistic viewpoint sometimes appeal to future evidence to explain away what we know now. But if you just, I think if you honestly look at the evidence, everything we know now about physics would say that, you know, it's very much rigged in order to support life. Mm. And so it's, I think it's a, a very powerful argument for God's existence. And it, it bypasses some of the more controversial things related to evolution or things like that, because unless the universe is finely tuned for life, evolution could never even get off the ground. Hmm. Now, when you you mentioned the multiverse theory that um, scientists have come up with, how how do they think this explains fine-tuning? Are they saying that just an infinite amount of these alternate universes 
exists somewhere and we are just the lucky ones that got the right conditions or what is their argument there? Yeah, it is basically, as you said there, that the theory is that that maybe, well, I think it started off when they started seeing this evidence for a big bang, it seemed to point to beginning. But if you're an atheist or a naturalist, you're going to tend to think, well, there must be some way the laws of nature can produce universes. And so they started thinking and evaluating different theories for producing something similar to what we would call our universe. And then if you add on the possibility that maybe the laws could be different in these different universes, then you start to get something which at least could possibly be a candidate explanation. Because if you had enough universes with enough different laws, then eventually some of them would have life and those living in those universes might look at them and say, well, you know, even though this is improbable, I know that I can only find myself in a life permitting universe and therefore it is a candidate explanation. Interestingly, though, many philosophers are very much against these kind of multiverse explanation. But the physicists, the real experts that have studied fine tuning in detail anyway, they'll tend to opt for the multiverse because they realize there's really no other alternative. Some of them, such as Stanford physicist Leonard Susskind, he'll go so far as to say, look, you know, this is our only option or we're going to have to give in to intelligent design. It's sort of a paraphrase of what he, he said. Uh, so that that also, I think, should be should be telling. Um, he almost is admitting, basically, that we've got to go with this other theory. Otherwise, it's going to look like the universe was intelligently designed. I don't think that's a good reason if you're an honest truth seeker for choosing one line of evidence over another. Now, maybe from his mm. perspective, he's just so convinced there's no God that that's what's, you know, causing him to go down that path. Yeah, and you mentioned that uh, Luke Barnes co-wrote his book with an atheist, and they agree on all of the actual science, on the physics of it. So surely scientists are aware of uh, the fine-tuning of the universe. And like we just mentioned, you know, coming up with alternative explanations like a multiverse theory. But in general, how is the physics world responding to this, this evidence? What's their explanation? Well, I think that, you know, again, you know, you might meet a random physicist that hasn't studied this and they might say, well, I don't, you know, I don't think there's anything there. But if you look at the peer reviewed articles and Luke Barnes wrote an interesting review article in which he read 200 plus articles in the physics literature and summarized them. And he said that, you know, in the course of his research, he found only a handful or so that would disagree with some of the claims of the fine tuning and virtually none of them would would disagree with all of it. So I think the physics of fine-tuning, the fact that life-permitting physics is rare among possibilities, is widely affirmed, at least among those who study it in detail. And so I think the physicists that are and that don't believe in God are kind of going for this multiverse explanation. And that's why it's important to look at where is the latest research pointing in terms of how viable an explanation that is. There was also, for example, an interesting article in Scientific American not too long ago by Paul Steinhardt and some others. Steinhardt is a Nobel Prize winning physicist who he, the title of the article was Pop Goes the Multiverse. And he was very much arguing that the latest data from this Planck satellite, which is analyzing something called the cosmic microwave background radiation, was pointing to the fact that, hey, it doesn't look like there was a multiverse. And he's even starting to question certain inflationary theories within cosmology that are the ones appealed to and trying to argue that maybe you could have a multiverse. 
So there's there's some interesting recent developments out there, and uh, it's interesting to follow the interaction among the physicists. I think we can, those of us, I mean, I'm not a, a real expert. I don't have a PhD in it, but I, I've been reading about it for years and following it, but I'm kind of just trying to see how it unfolds. It feels the, as though over the past decade or two, though, the, the case for fine-tuning just keeps getting stronger over time. Mm. And in particular, the case for the multiverse as an explanation is seemingly getting weaker over time. Mm. Now, for, for those of us, myself included, who are not necessarily science people in the sense that, you know, I don't read physics books for fun, you know, sure. and, I, and so uh, oftentimes when I'm reading about uh, the more scientific stuff, I'm, I'm struggling to understand and I have to read it a couple times. For those of us who are, are more, more like that, can you give us just some other examples of the fine-tuning that we're going to find in the universe? We talked about uh, gravity. We talked about the cosmological constant. What are some other just really practical uh, examples of fine-tuning uh, that we're going to find when we look out into the universe? All right. Yeah. I mean, it, it really comes down to most of the particles you would have ever heard of, um, and then some that you haven't, all seem to require some level of fine-tuning. Um, for example, the proton and the neutron mass have to be just right, or you don't have stable protons. Protons are particles in the nucleus of every atom. And so if you didn't have a stable proton, you, couldn't, you literally couldn't have chemistry at all. Uh, so there's a number of ways in which you could wreck the universe for life of any kind. If there's no chemistry, it's admitted by scientists that you really wouldn't be able to have interesting complex structures of the type that life would require. Um, so, yeah, you have all the particle masses. There's four fundamental strengths or four fundamental forces, each of which you have to get in the right strength, the right proportion uh, in order to have life. And there's a number of cosmological parameters, such as the cosmological constant I mentioned, or also it turns out the um, consistency and the densities of matter in the early universe make a huge difference on whether you could ever form things like galaxies or stars. So there's just uh, so many of these examples. Some of them can be a little hard to understand if you're not into physics. Mm -hmm. But I think if you can... I mean, I think it's interesting to think about the analogy of picture trying to make life out of something like, say, Legos or something. Uh, many of us, you know, love to play with building things as kids. And, you know, those are designed to be able to build interesting things. And yet, you know, there's limitations to what you can do with building blocks of that type. And in the same way, unless you have the right building blocks, you're never going to be able to get something like life. Um, if you think about... Mm -hmm how incredible life is that it's able to grow and replicate and expand and live off the environment, harness energy from the environment. All of those require very special things happening in physics, which you could ruin with just minor changes. Well, obviously there are objections to this evidence, or at least to the claim that it's evidence for God. Otherwise every physicist would be a Christian, right? That's right. Although, I will say that many are, and um, of course, in the case of astrophysicist Hugh Ross, have you ever heard his story of how he came to faith, by the way? I, I have. It's been a while, so I'm fuzzy well, on the details. It's, it's just but... so interesting because for him, it was the evidence in cosmology that actually led him to become a Christian, and this was before 
anyone ever shared the gospel with him. And so eventually he he got he had he had discovered this evidence in cosmology and then began to find uh, try to discover the answers that every philosophical and religious system gave to that evidence. And then when he got a Bible, he he found his answer in that, just with, with some of the predictions the Bible made scientifically. It's just the most fascinating story. Um, so so surely there are quite a few scientists that, that have come to the conclusion that God exists based on evidence such as fine-tuning and other scientific evidences. But one claim um, that I've heard is like, well, hey, you know, it's not some sort of intelligent fine-tuning. It's just luck. We just obviously, we wouldn't be here to observe fine-tuning if it hadn't happened this way, but it did, and it's just luck. So why don't you respond to that objection, and then maybe you can tell us about some other objections that people raise to this idea of fine-tuning. Okay, sure. Yeah, I mean, you could always explain away almost any evidence by just saying, well, you know, it's just sort of a coincidence. You could explain away DNA evidence, for example, or just because that uh, candidate murder happens to have the exact same rare kind of car as seen at, at the crime. That's just a coincidence as well. No matter what evidence is, unless you have a proof in some deductive sense, you can almost always explain it away as a coincidence. And in fact, some of the early on, many of the physicists just did just think, well, maybe these are just coincidences. But for example, when they discovered the cosmological constant required this fine tuning to one part and 10 to the 110th power, as Seskin says, you know, there's no one thought that was just a coincidence anymore at that point. At some point, when you get enough of these together, it would just be so improbable that, you know, in, in no other context would someone say, oh, we just got lucky. It's just a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Now, it is true. Sometimes people get confused, I think, by thinking, well, we can only find ourselves in a life permitting universe. So there's nothing here to explain. And that's where it can be useful to think about the analogy given by John Leslie, a philosopher who also wrote a great book on fine tuning. And he says that consider if you were put before a group of highly trained marksmen and, you know, the command comes ready, aim, fire, they all miss. Now, would you dismiss that as just being a coincidence? Because it's true that if they hadn't missed, you wouldn't be alive to, to be there to talk about it. But it still is a situation that cries out for a deeper explanation. Mm. So the fine tuning is exactly, it has that same feature where it, it looks really like there's something rigged going on here. You know, in the, the marksman example, they could have been firing blanks or they were commanded by their superior to all miss. Uh, but there's some deeper explanation. Right, right. And yeah. that's why they want to sometimes appeal to all these other universes. But it, let's take that example of the firing squad. Even if you knew there was an infinite number of other universes out there and that eventually some of them might miss, it still would be, I think, a more rational inference to infer design in that scenario than it would be that you just got incredibly lucky. Right. Well, what are some other objections that uh, people raise to to fine-tuning? There are a number of them at the popular level that seem to persist. I've been working on a, a YouTube channel uh, going under the name Finely Tuned Universe. And so I've been reviewing a lot of the popular ones out there questioning fine-tuning and at the popular level, for people that aren't really trained in science, they seem to be saying things like evolution will find a way, or they refer to uh, Douglas Adams' puddle analogy, 
where he, he talks about how, you know, the pu- person, a puddle, if you sort of personify a puddle, you could express some surprise that the water fits you so nicely or something like that. And yet these things are totally misunderstanding the, the nature of the fine tuning claim itself. Because what, what fine tuning is showing is that any configuration of matter would not hold water, that it takes a very specific set of physics in terms of the laws, the constants, and the initial conditions to allow life any, anywhere, and therefore to you know, even allow the possibility that evolution could ever get started. So even if you have very optimistic views on what evolution could do, as most of these physicists actually do, they just accept you know, whatever the biologists are thinking in terms of evolution, they know that maybe once life gets started, it could evolve from their standpoint. They, they view that in a very optimistic way. And yet they're writing things and saying things like no Darwinians, uh, no amount of Darwinian selection can compensate for a lack of fine tuning for the masses of these quarks, a different type of fundamental particle. Mm-hmm. And so there are a number of objections at the popular level, I think, that just misunderstand what's really going on at the level of the science. And you don't really see those from scientists, but you do see them at the popular level. And so it's worth thinking through that. And there, there's so many of them out there. It's part of what motivated me to come up with a YouTube channel to address those. Yeah. And so let's talk about your YouTube channel, because uh, you're, you're doing some things to raise awareness for this evidence. And one of the things you're doing is this YouTube channel. And for anyone listening, if you want to check it out, it's called Finely Tuned Universe. And um, looks like there's about 10 videos you have uploaded there already. Tell us about about your YouTube channel and, and, and what else you're doing to, to raise evidence uh, or to raise awareness of this. Yeah. Uh, Thanks, Alyssa. Yeah. Also, I've blogged some at Cross-Examined, which we both went to some Cross-Examined training there. Uh, Yeah, actually. And just a little interesting point about that is that's actually where we met was at the Cross-Examined Instructor Academy. Uh, Alan was actually my instructor for for one of my presentations. And so that's how we met. And so, yes, actually, uh, I didn't realize that you write you write for Cross-Examined. That's great. It's been a little while, but I did a fine tuning series uh, blogging there uh, a few years back. And I I linked to that from my um, YouTube channel. But you could also find it if you just typed Alan Hainline cross-examined or Alan Hainline fine tuning, you you would find links to that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I am motivated to try to interact with this. Luke Barnes, the cosmologist I mentioned before, after he wrote his book, he was coming to the U.S., and I helped organize part of his U.S. book tour, setting up speaking arrangements at various colleges and universities. And we had him come out to speak at UT Dallas and had several hundred people there. We set up a debate. It took a little while to find somebody from the physics department at UT Dallas, but through one of my professor friends there, we eventually did someone willing to debate the other side on the fine-tuning evidence. And interestingly, in that debate, he didn't really challenge the physics itself. Again, he was trying to dispute other aspects of it. So I found that pretty telling. Is that a debate available on YouTube or anything that people could find that? It is. It's available at the Bible and Beer Consortium. We did it through a local organization of that name. And so I'm pretty sure that's online there in a way that could be easily found. 
And maybe I can post a link to that and some of the other things like the books we've talked about and your YouTube channel on the podcast notes if anybody wants to to find that. That'd be great. Yeah, I appreciate that. So yeah, within this YouTube channel, I'm, I've got a, a, a good start at it. I had a little less busy period of work here. So I've been cranking out a few videos and drawing on some pre-recorded material I had from Dr. Mike Strauss and Dr. Luke Barnes. And I'm going to, the, the one upcoming thing that should be interesting is to try to interact with Caltech physicist, Sean Carroll and his critique of the multiverse. He's one of the few ones that's actually trying to say, well, we're not so sure that there really is finely tuned physics. Uh, and so can try to interact with a little bit of that. His, one of his main question says, well, you know, there could be other forms of life. Maybe we're underestimating this kind of thing. But if you look carefully at the works of Luke Barnes and others, uh, at least for a good portion of the fine tuning claims, there's such catastrophic disasters that it seems pretty clear cut that there is no possible form of life anywhere in the universe without this fine tuning. In particular, the cosmological constant previously mentioned, if you didn't have that fine tuning, the whole universe would just be this thin hydrogen soup where you would have a hydrogen atom bounce off another hydrogen atom on timescales of like a billion years in between collisions. So you would have no chemistry and it'd be just so, you know, separated, su such a, a lack of particles that there would be no, I don't think you can just appeal to other life forms. So I'd like to see him interact with specific claims by physicists if he's going to try to make the case that there could be other forms of life, because at least some of them seem incredibly clear cut. And that's coming not just from me and Luke Barnes, but obviously his co-author, the atheist Grant Lewis, is also arguing that that's not a good objection um, mm. to the fine tuning, that this fine tuning is something that's real. So are you, you're working on a book, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I'm fortunate enough to be able to be co-authoring a chapter in a book with Luke Barnes. The book is called The Story of the Cosmos, and it's coming out sometime next year. But it's going to be quite an exciting book as they deal with all kinds of different topics. William Lane Craig is going to be writing about creation ex nihilo, creation from nothing in there. We're writing about fine tuning. And there's a connection with the meaningful aspects in the book as well. Dr. Michael Ward, who's a top C.S. Lewis scholar who cracked the Narnia code and explained what C.S. Lewis really had in mind in some of that. He's going to be writing a chapter cool. as well as Anton Kokomore. He's the Hubble Space Telescope scientist who has an entry. So this is going to be an interesting book, and I'm very much humbled to be able to play some small role in contributing to the book. Very cool. And that's coming out next year, you said? Yeah. Not awesome. sure of the exact timing yet. Well, Alan, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today for our first science episode. And maybe when your book comes out, we'll have you back and we can talk a little bit more about it. That'd be great. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on. And I'm, I'm glad you're delving into the science arena some. That's fantastic. Doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can sign up to receive my posts by email by going to alisachilders.com and clicking the subscribe button 
or simply subscribe to the Elisa Childers podcast on iTunes. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.